Hello there. This is CSW, creator of Incarnation Red. If you enjoy Incarnation Red and want to help keep it going, support the show on Patreon via the link listed in the episode notes down below. In return, you'll receive a variety of perks ranging from a monthly Q&A slash horror gaming livestream to a chance of having a mini-episode made based off of you and your fears released on the main RSS feed for everyone to hear. Additionally, all patrons receive access to an exclusive patron-only Discord server where you can chat with fans and myself, watch live streams of pre-release episode editing, and join in on regular horror movie nights. I rely on your support to keep the show going, so any amount, no matter how small, will help me bring you more scary stories more often. Link is in the episode notes down below. Additionally, if you are a fan of audio drama podcasts in general and want early access releases plus bonus content from Incarnation Red, absolutely sign up for Apollo Plus, a creator-owned platform where every subscriber helps audio fiction creators for just $10 a month. You can think of Apollo Plus almost as the Netflix of audio dramas, offering exclusive content, ad-free and early access releases, behind-the-scenes content, supercuts, and a whole, whole lot more, all by supporting the creators you already know and love. With Apollo Plus, 70% of the revenue goes directly to us creators and provides all of us, both creator and listener, with a place to enjoy the shows we love, such as Afflicted, 13, and of course Incarnation Red, and a whole, whole lot more. And of course, Hemophobia, my upcoming horror podcast, will be there too, so join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or by going to apollopods.com slash plus, that's P-L-U-S. Incarnation Red is a horror anthology podcast, and thus contains material not suitable for all audiences. All content warnings can be found in the episode notes down below. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? Episode 14 Wick I had to have it explained to me at least five times before I understood it. The light is there, and then it's not. Something snuffs it, and then it isn't there anymore. It goes from being lit to being nothing. It was a candle, now it's a wick. Puzzled, I scrutinized. There was a difference, I could tell that much, but I didn't know what it was. Was the flame a part of the wick, and with that part removed, made lesser than it was? No. The flame could not be touched, or held at least, and was not a tangible material thing like the wick was. And the wick was still a simple black line, just as it was when lit, with no real alteration except that now it was touchable. So was that the difference? That a snuffed-out candle was painless to touch, as opposed to touching an open flame. If so, why light a candle in the first place? When it's more desirable to have just a wick, calm, unthreatening, neutralized. Growing up, I was surrounded by candles a great deal of the time. My home was often without power, and when it was, my mother would retrieve the candles from the closet and light them all, one by one, throughout the rooms of the house. 
we would sit in silence among the candles. Sometimes I would dare my younger brother to lick his thumb and index finger and pinch one of the candles out. He always said he was scared to do so, and I'm not sure if he meant scared of getting burned or scared of mother's retribution, but whenever he said this, I would demonstrate it for him. I'd lick my thumb and index finger and extinguish the candle nearest him, hopefully so he could hear the fizzle as it went out. He would look at me with something between astonishment and horror on his face, but with the light of the candle gone, his features were more submerged, present at a remove within darkness, less recognizably human. Then I'd do it again, however many times I could before my mother noticed and chastised me for it. If I did it too many times, I was sent to my room, where candles abounded as well. Waiting until my mother's footsteps had faded, I'd then go around the room, candle by candle, putting out the flames one by one, until they were all gone, and I could sit in the plain darkness of my room. It wasn't that I was afraid of the fire. If that were the case, I would have minded the partial burns on my fingers. And it wasn't an act of childhood rebellion, either. It was that the candles, staring at me with their live flames, forced the question upon me again, a question I had no answer to. What was the difference between a candle lit and a candle unlit? Was it just that of my own perception, that now, with the candles all put out, I couldn't see them? But that was asinine, that a difference in my perception of something would equate a difference in the thing itself. And I knew that to be foolish, but that just made it all the harder. And when Mother died, it was even worse. It was a prolonged, sadistically dragging illness that took her, and the end did not come soon enough. It wasn't that I disliked my mother, I knew I would miss her very much, but the continued duration of her dwindling heartbeat was like a candle. And like every other candle, it forced the question upon me. What would the difference be when she passed from being living to dead? How would she be different when she turned from human to object? She wouldn't talk or move or breathe anymore, but... Was that not just like the flame of a candle? Weren't all those mannerisms of life the very same essence as a flame is on a wick? You can't touch speech, or breath, or life. Just like you can't touch the flame. It's not really there. But it's not absent either. And is that what life is? A constant suspension between being and not being? Never quite qualifying as present, but... Certainly real, certainly existent, until, well, until that life is put out, and the whole thing's at an end. And that's just what happened with Mother. I watched her intently as she passed, absent-mindedly holding her hand, but staring deeply, intently at her face, until I felt her hand lose its vitality. And she was gone. And I was none the wiser. It had answered nothing in the end, had it? It had given me no new information, no sudden correlation of words and meanings to form a pattern. No answers at all, but in its place. A strange relief. The same relief I felt as a child when watching a candle become extinguished, or better yet, extinguishing it myself. Just so with her. I watched her life evanesce, and the more it vanished, the closer it came to a revelation, an enlightenment that promised an answer to these questions, but just before it could be unveiled, she passed. 
and that light was put out as between two fingers. Yet in that sudden darkness was a relief. Relief from what? Relief from the question that the light forced upon me? Or relief from the answer that would have come? But as all reliefs do, this relief has turned the spaces where it is absent into desire, and then into need. Or rather, it had always been a need, and only now is it discovered in full, but unfurled and uncovered, its cravings ring out in the hollows of myself, resonate. I hear them all the time, low and pervasive like stomach growls, and I look at the masses of people with new eyes, or uncovered eyes. But all I have learned is that I know even less than I thought. All I see is that I am so much blinder than I knew. I look at the masses of people like a whole sea of candles. And the single question I had been asking myself has been multiplied into a million paraphrases, sent back through a million mouths, all talking incessantly from a million lit wicks, and I stagger under the weight. I study my face in the mirror, turn it in one direction, then the other. I search the colored pools in my eyes for something, something that could change, could go from being something to nothing. But nothing is already what I behold, for I have nothing, no answers, no wisdom, no understanding. I have nothing inside of me. Could I go from nothing to something? I had to have it explained to me at least five times before I understood it. The light is there, and then it's not. But in truth, I never understood it. I never got my answer. So now I go to seek it out. I seek out people. Friends. Company I wouldn't normally surround myself with. It isn't hard. I could be personable when I choose to be. Not that it comes naturally to me. Then again... I'm not sure exactly what comes naturally to me. Thinking about it, I try to place before my mind various images of myself, static and sterilized models of myself in action. But none of them quite form. The only image I have of myself that I can keep stable is of me pinching out the flame on a candle while my brother watches. I study their faces. I watch mouths move from straight lines to curved smiles to straight lines. I watch the flame of life appear, then vanish in each of their mannerisms, in and then out of their parts, like the pieces of their visage passing constantly from use to desuetude, from animation to standstill. The repeated assumption and relinquishment of utility unifies the body, but... What of it when the body is ununified? When the body is separated? Split into pieces? That rhythm cannot continue. 
The flame has nowhere to travel between anymore. And is that what makes it vanish? Is that what puts it out? They ask me why I'm staring at their face so intently. I laugh, saying that I don't know, but tell them to go on with what they were saying. I mask my gaze again. I bury my nothing in the appearance of something. I walk the city streets at night to memorize their layout because I need some fresh air. I walk my friends home at night to make sure they get there safely. I do research on the weaknesses of home security systems because I want to stay safe. I watch and memorize their daily and weekly routines because I'm curious. I'm just curious. And what's wrong with curiosity? What's wrong with having questions? What's wrong with finding their answers? Especially when I feel... I feel like I'm getting close. I can't articulate it. Can't quite put it into unstinting logic yet, but it's starting to feel right. Of course not the first time. The first time I walk away with just a small sense. Just a seed planted in dubious soil. So I seek to water it. Drench it. Spill onto the seed however much it needs to grow. Then clean the floorboards. But it's not until the fourth time that I feel it keenly. I feel it warm and plentiful. I feel it shower me, spray over my face, and stick to my features, soak my hands in other color, and fill my nostrils with the metallic scent of wisdom. The scent of understanding. And every time thereafter, it all makes a little more sense. When I see the shift in their eyes, it teaches me. It teaches me how that light, waiting to be snuffed out, doesn't go out all at once. It realizes its own evanescence before it even begins. And in this way, the candle snuffs itself. From the first knowledge of its eventual disappearance, it already begins to empty on the inside. It's a slow, slow process. And by the time it's finished, the flame goes out on its own, in simultaneity with the fingers that pinch it. Because now I know how this goes. I can recognize when the weight of oblivion lands within a living candle. I can hear when a voice goes from shouting to crying. I can feel in the fight inside those fingers, those struggling and resisting fingers. Surrenders and withers away inside them. I know when a living being becomes a dying being. And just so, from that point, 
The fire practically puts out itself. But it isn't until the ninth time that it hits me. It isn't until I show up to the bar a few intentional minutes late. Apologize sheepishly, though. I was just sitting in my car, staring at my fingers. It isn't until he slaps my back, assures me no worries, then orders himself a whiskey sour, and for me, a gin and tonic, then sits us both down at a small table. It isn't until he makes minuscule talk over subjects so difficult to discuss because I can barely remember them mere milliseconds after each word, and I keep up admirably. This social dynamic and his hinge of brotherly approval a glove I slip on seamlessly. But it's not my skin. It isn't until the second whiskey sour and gin and tonic, then the third whiskey sour, then the fourth whiskey sour, at my insistence, come on, then the fifth whiskey sour, no, please, really, then the sixth whiskey sour, like medicine, honestly, then the fourth floor of his apartment building. After a lobby deserted at this time of night, and a series of stairs I help him conquer, step by step, him occasionally glancing over his shoulder in a flux peninculum, from suddenly sober and apologetically honest concern, to hysteria and laughter. It isn't until I lead him through all of it. Not until I lead him into his apartment. Not until I open the door for him. It isn't until his clumsy hand slams on the light switch and I'm in through the door with him faster than he can ask himself whether or not he invited me in. And the door closed even faster than that. And before he can even know what a word is, he's collapsed onto the couch. It isn't until I tell him I need to hang my coat, leaving to do so before he can open his mouth, then doing so and with the other hand, locking the door, reaching into my pocket, withdrawing the blade. And it isn't until I step back in the room that I've cleanly hidden behind my back, and he looks at me with a drunken bewilderment that knows no language, and I witness the wordless, unspoken wave of thoughts rush over his flushed face. Thoughts of situation, circumstance, civil sensibility, thoughts of etiquette, social morality, and the brilliant centuries, my refusal to match any of those things. Because truly, honestly, it never came naturally to me. Only one thing ever came naturally to me. And just until I've done that thing. That it hits me. It isn't enough. It just isn't enough. It's not answering anything just like the last eight failed to. Just like mother, dead and alive, failed to. Just like that voice 
whose source I can't even remember anymore, explaining it to me, parsing it all out for me in unblinking stone terms. Failed to. Because I still don't get it. I still don't get it. After all this snuffing, all this fostering of darkness to fill the void where life had been, all this thrashing out the light just because it forced me to define it, I still don't understand. And I'm starting to think there's only one way to get there. I did it all to find the answers. I did it all to see the truth. But I can't deny in myself the faint glare of an emotion. Envy. Resentment. Because the candles know the answer. They know it, and they ask it of me still. If there's one thing light can do, it's divine. And in a sense, I suppose I felt myself exposed by their light, naked and slightly, subhuman and wanting in my withered, unenlightened state. Thin. I feel thin, like... Thin like a wick. A wick in need of the light. And if all of this has taught me anything, it's that there is no light so bright as that which follows its own extinguishment. I step outside onto the man's balcony. I stare at the city down below. A black expanse filled with tiny, bright city lights, and it is like an ocean of candles. Like every flame I've ever put out. Every candle that has fizzled between my two childlike fingers, staring up at me. And for the first time, I feel I am one of them. And being one of them, I must do as they did, and receive in turn the answers they've held from me. How else could I see the light without yielding to the darkness? How else could I define life than to yield to death? I step up onto the balcony railing. I stare down at the sea of dying lights. And I take myself the newly found candle and make myself the wick. Yes, 
Yes, I think I have enough to put together a case now. Incarnation Red is created, written, narrated, and edited by CSW. The opening theme was written and performed by Annika Hansen. All music and sound effects used in this podcast are created in-house from scratch. For more information and regular updates, follow me on Twitter at CSW underscore horror, or visit my website CSWHorror.com, or like the show's Facebook page, Incarnation Red, as always, spelled R-E-A-D. For behind-the-scenes looks and other scary content, you can follow me on TikTok, or you can follow me on Instagram at Incarnation Red. Thank you for listening.